If you ask most CIOs and CTOs what their biggest concern is, a majority of those leaders might respond with one simple question. How do we manage risk in a way that is effective and cost efficient? John Siegler is the Chief Product Officer at Logicate, a company that's working to solve that very question with its platform. In this episode of IT Visionaries, John discusses how the platform is revolutionizing the risk management industry while putting its customers at the center of attention. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com platform. This podcast is created by the team at mission.org. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, host of IT Visionaries. And today we are joined by special guest, John. How are you? I'm good, Ian. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, chat today. Yeah, excited to have you on the show. So we're going to talk all about LogicGate and your role as a chief product officer and get into your background. So how'd you get into technology? Yeah, actually, I started my, my first company in high school with my brother, you know, in, in my parents' basement. Uh, so this was sort of in the late 90s where there was a lot of uh, greenfield space in the internet. And uh, we actually started up a logo design company called TitleWorks. And we got it up to be in the top three in the Google search results for the search term logo design. And that was you know, really exciting for us to kind of like try to get that top position and figure out all the ways that you can optimize for search engine uh, searches back then. And uh, you know, it just got me excited for software in general because you could easily do some, the possibilities were endless. You could easily do something that nobody was doing and spin up a, a new business very quickly. And then my background in education is in engineering and a field called industrial engineering, which kind of has its roots in like the manufacturing space and process efficiency, but has really kind of come into the, the digital age as well with uh, things like uh, solving optimization problems and how to best like use data to make decisions. And then what really got me interested though, when studying that is a field called human factors engineering, which kind of puts the human or the person doing the job at the center of any process. And that's what drew me towards product management and product development in general. So started off in the consulting world, the technology consulting space, doing massive SAP implementations. So really got to see the strain that enterprise like software in that time in like the mid 2000s was kind of putting on employees. So like watching employees enter transaction codes to do their jobs, you know, they had to like create a PO. You have to enter a code of uh, numbers and letters to pull that screen up and to actually you know, do their work, which was kind of enlightening to me. And I was just kind of thinking there had to be a better way to actually do that. And then got into like the custom software development space. So building custom software to help companies solve unique problems. And then specifically in the risk, compliance, and regulatory space, which is where, where LogicGate uh, sits now. And eventually met up with my co-founders doing that. And you know, we built probably... 50 different custom solutions for companies all in that like risk and compliance space. So just saw a lot during that time. As a consultant, you're like traveling and on the road and you're typically like with your users and with your business stakeholders sitting in the room. There's something really powerful about that. And um, we kind of had the 
had a lot of advantages when starting LogiGate because we kind of already knew what the product market fit was because we saw so many different ways that companies were, were solving the risk and compliance challenges. Yeah. So flash forward to today, tell us a little bit about where LogiGate is at uh, in the journey and what's the chief product officer role look like for you? We started the company in 2015. So we're just over five years into it now. And I've had some really good growth. Uh, so we're up to, we're probably like 130 employees here now and a really good customer base. For me, what my focus first and foremost is ensuring that we're delivering highly valuable product experiences for our customers and really ensuring that the vision of our, our products called the risk cloud, ensuring that the vision of the risk cloud is really aligned to the company of vision of LogiGate. Are we ensuring that as a company, we can meet our goals through the product that we're delivering to our customers? And then ensuring that we're able to execute on our plans for innovation. You know, how is our product org structured? How are our PMs operating? How is product design? How do they fit into the process? And then for most of LogiGate's existence, the, our customer success org actually rolled into me. Only recently, we've, we've kind of split that out. But that allowed me to stay really in tune with our customers, and, and I still do. But that, that was kind of an advantage for us starting out is to kind of, you know, play both roles, so to speak, is ensure we're delivering on the products and then actually kind of see that in action with our customers. And then in general, helping connect a lot of the dots around, around the org because, you know, it's, it's no longer, we can't just like produce, uh, ship something in the product and then just like hope our, our users will put it to action. It's a combined effort, very cross-functional with our marketing team, our sales team, our customer success team to make sure that product launch is, is successful. So connecting the dots across the org to ensure that what we're delivering is actually getting used and uh, put to action by our customers. Yeah, and taking a step back, so can you share, you know, for our listeners who don't know more about like, what is it the LogicGate does? Who do you work with? Who are the types of uh, people in an organization that, uh, that you're working with? Yeah, so yeah, the, this space might not be super familiar to everyone, but in general, it's referred to as... Uh, as GRC, governance, risk, or compliance, or if you're Gartner, you call it IRM or integrated risk management. It just depends which, uh, which industry analyst you maybe want to listen to. But the key question that LogiGate is, is attempting to answer is how do we enable our customers to make better informed strategic decisions about the risks that their company faces? So our target audience is typically like the chief risk officer the CISO, so the Chief Information Security Officer, Chief Compliance Officers. And today they're facing really more threats than they ever have before. Companies are facing more threats, especially from, from an information security standpoint, more regulation than ever before. So with CCPA and GDPR, just increasing privacy regulations are obviously the new trend. There's a lot more, because of that, there's a lot more work to do by those teams. And throw on top of that, things are changing rapidly. So really, what we hear from our customers is how do we do more with less? How do we adapt quickly to this changing market dynamic and, and regulatory landscape? And then doing all that, how do we unlock better insights that allow us to make better strategic decisions proactively? So historically, risk has been very like reactive. Like, oh, we have a, um, a risk of a data breach. What are all the things that we have to do after that happens or before it happens to prevent that from happening? As opposed to looking at risk is like, hey, where do we best invest our dollars across the organization to make better decisions with our investments? In terms of how we do that in the risk cloud, we allow our customers 
to use our out-of-the-box templates for things like third-party risk management, for example. How do our customers better understand the companies that they share their customer data with and the risk that they're exposed to? How do they get compliant with standards like SOC 2 for control assessments that basically every tech company needs to prove that they're compliant with? Or how do we like manage changes to regulation? So we allow our customers really create uh, relationships between all those disparate processes they might do with these simple out-of-the-box applications. And most of our customers are running five different applications on top of our platform. So it's really solving many of these different risk and compliance problems, and then using that data that comes out of that to make better strategic decisions for them. So you've mentioned in the past um, that companies lack the technology they need to be truly transformationally effective. Like, What does that mean, and, and how does your risk cloud help solve that problem? Yeah, I think that's it's really twofold. One is that we actually still see so many companies that still use like spreadsheets and email to manage their risk and compliance programs. You'd be surprised and like how big some of the companies are that, that still do that. And it's probably because that, you know, risk and compliance and security teams haven't always gotten the love from like a budget standpoint to invest in better technology. And to really move the needle for those teams, you need to be able to first like systematize and then automate a lot of that work so that those teams can scale more. And we're starting to see that shift. And that's a lot of the adoption in in our tool that we've seen has been driven by those teams getting a a louder voice, bigger budget, because companies have to care about this stuff now. There's more threats, more changes, et cetera. And then the second is, you know, technology is only transformational if it gets used, like put to action. And a, a big part of that for us is around user experience. And you know, we've definitely seen the shift even from when we started around this concept of like consumerization of enterprise software. I was actually reading a, a study recently that is, is put up by TrustRadius that more millennials are now leading buying decisions at companies for B2B software. And they actually value the user experience much more than maybe their, their other colleagues do. So Business software users are now expecting their enterprise software to behave and act like the you know, apps that they grew up with on their phone. So that's actually ensuring that the software is going to get used and put to action, and that it's actually solving the, the customer's problems and then making that change at an organization because people are actually using it. Yeah, interesting. So can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Like, what would be some examples of that? From a user experience standpoint, we actually have it for us at Logicate with the Risk Cloud. Have a and other other platforms have this a similar struggle they're going through. We actually have two very uh, distinct sets of users that we uh, design our product for. One is our power users. They're like on a risk or compliance team. They're in it every day, and they're actually customizing out the Risk Cloud to kind of fit their business. And then oftentimes they end up interacting with maybe hundreds of other people in their organization who have to come into the risk cloud to, to do some piece of work, provide evidence, fill out a form. And those we, we call our end users. And if those end users do not have a simple way to engage with their, let's say their third-party risk management process to, let's say they wanted to request to work with a new third party, you know, your risk and compliance program is only good as the data that comes into it and comes out of it. So focusing on ensuring that those end users can find the work they need to do, complete it easily, and there's just less friction is something that we focus on all the time. 
And then on the flip side, we're also trying to make it really powerful for our power users to do the work they need in a very easy fashion. So, because at the end of the day, they're our buyers and they're cutting the check. But if their end users aren't adopting it and uh, completing the work they need to do, it's really a failure for them to, to launch their program internally. Yeah, sure. That, make, that makes sense. What do you feel like is kind of on the horizon for those sort of risk folks that, you know, you mentioned using spreadsheets and, and email and things like that. Is this something that's going to be like necessary to try to figure out? I mean, obviously, companies need, you know, software like yours and, and others to try to figure out like just like where they're at. But it just seems like with kind of the growing complexity of the surrounding world, it just seems, it seems crazy that folks would still be relying on those type of things. Like, why are they resistant to change? Or is it just sort of an organizational change budget sort of a thing? Yeah, I honestly think part of it is just the, from a, a budget perspective, they haven't gotten the love from, you know, maybe the, the CFO or the CEO in those, in those different departments to actually spend the money. But also the software hasn't, you know, this space has been around for 20 plus years. The innovation that has, uh, you know, for some of the legacy players just hasn't caught up to where other categories of software potentially have. So they haven't had the tools available to them to make the, their job easier so that, you know, potentially haven't, haven't wanted to invest in it because it's, it's difficult to use. It's clunky, still takes, you know, developers to come in and, and potentially customize on top of their platform. But yeah, it's tough to know why, why people haven't adopted it as much outside of those like budget reasons or, or why there's a, a failure to adopt this technology in this space, especially when these problems are so critical. But one area where we see a lot of opportunity is around helping our customers have better conversations across the organization about risk. And that means taking risk out of like, historically, they have, people talk about risk. It's like, oh, this risk is red. This one's yellow. This one's green. But there hasn't been a lot of evidence to always back that up. It's based on a judgment call. This concept of being able to quantify risk, give it a dollar figure. You know, if we don't do X, Y, Z, it's going to cost us this much money to be able to quantify risk and then roll that up to a business unit level across the org. Uh, that's, that's the problem we're trying to solve longer term and that we're really interested in right now. Yeah. So can you kind of go into a little bit more detail into that, uh, into the innovation piece? Like what makes Logicate different from other folks and, and what are you trying to build for the future? Yeah, for sure. One thing that, that makes us really unique versus uh, what's offered in the market is really the, the relationships that you can create between all of your different processes, data that you're running through the Risk Cloud platform. And then have that data inform risk scores. So the reason we can do this where our competitors cannot is fundamentally a, a technology that our database is built on called a graph database. We use a, a database called Neo4j to actually execute on that. And that's really valuable when data models are not static and are changing a lot. And data is often related to one another in unknown ways and very, very differing ways. So that's kind of risk and compliance in a nutshell. There's like a lot of different, depending on what industry you're in, what market you're in, what geo you're in, the way that you set up your risk and compliance program can look very, very different. Because we're built on this graph database, we give our customers the flexibility to really set up their data models in any way that they choose, not kind of pigeonholing them into 
into a certain way. And, it, and this differs from most, most software is built on what's called relational database, things like, you know, MySQL or, or what have you. And that's good if you like know the data structures, you know how everything's going to relate to one another and through what tables it all joins. Graph technology is, is most useful when things can be related to each other in, in ways you don't even know. And those relationships can change a lot over time. So think like um, almost like a social network. You go to LinkedIn, you can see all your connections two degrees away from you, three degrees away from you. That's powered by something similar to like a, a graph database because every, everyone can be related to everyone in a slightly different way. Um, and it all kind of connects back to that individual. So we're, we're taking a different approach just in how our technology is structured. And then it's opening up a lot of possibilities for our customers with the way that they set up their, their programs to, to mirror them as an organization, as opposed to just like forcing them into an out of the box structure. It's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. We're all in some way <laughs> seven degrees away from, from Kevin Bacon. Exactly. But in our world, it's, uh, it's, it's not such fun things as movies. It's like a risk and an incident and a third party and a control and a policy. And like, how do all those things potentially relate to one another? But yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. So, you know, we hear a lot about AI and, and business intelligence, you know, from product perspective, are you all working on those things? Do you have, uh, obviously you, you have customers who are working on those sort of things. You know, how does, how does that play in? Yeah. Um, I'm not really a big, <laughs> big fan of those buzzwords a lot because they, they oftentimes get used totally. but at the end of the day, they kind of lose sight of like the problem, <laughs> the problem that's being solved for the customer. Yeah. No, I mean, we hear that a lot. I mean, no, it's like anecdotally, like we hear that a lot on the show is like, you know, people that kind of are, are dabbling with this and that to like, be like, check the block on. Yeah. We, we've, uh, yeah, we're working with it. So they get people off their back <laughs> to, to say like, hey, are, are you guys like messing around with AI? And they're like, yep, yep, we're doing it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think those are like complementary technologies that, you know, everybody should be kind of up to speed on the possibilities of, of using some of those, you know, AI and RPA and machine learning and blockchain and things like that. And there's a, you know, I think for us, those are like complementary where we can take advantage and embed those in certain places for certain use cases that add a ton of value. But for us, like we're interested in this like quantification concept and which maybe doesn't get it like a, a special buzzword per se, but what are the models that we're going to use to better quantify risk to give it a dollar figure? That's like the language of business, you know, not a, not a red, yellow, green status, like I was mentioning, but so that that's kind of our area that we're dabbling in right now is some of that data analytical models that we're, we're looking to add to the platform. No buzzword bingo for you. No, no buzzword bingo. <laughs> you, you talked about this a little bit, but um, you know, you're obviously one of the folks responsible for user experience. Can you kind of just talk through like, how do you think about user experience? Uh, what are the things that, that you're interested in that you make sure that your team is doing? Yeah, for sure. I think it starts with having a deep understanding of our customers and their users and the different personas that are coming into the platform and their goals. Like that's everything is rooted in that because you can spend all the time you want building beautiful interfaces, but great user experience is about elegantly solving the problems of your user. So we start out with, you know, on our teams, start out by ensuring that we have the process in place whenever we're 
you know, exploring any feature, whether it's a big rock feature we're looking into or just a small feature, uh, start with customer interviews and ensure we're getting that feedback in the door. And then once we uh, ship and launch, ensuring we have mechanisms to continue to capture that customer feedback, whether it's like targeted surveys on a particular area of the platform, or whether it's, you know, obviously things like NPS score have, have been around for a while and are sort of table stakes these days to, to be running in your platform. And then we have a user research program that we, we stay close to and we're able to quickly, we have a, a list of customers that have kind of opted in to be part of our user research program. If we're exploring a particular problem, we can quickly pull that group and get the feedback we need to move forward. This is all kind of the, the, the foundations of building great user experiences, ensure that we're, we have a good pulse on our, our, our customer base and our users and what they're, what they're looking for. What about employee experience? Um, you know, not sure if, if this is something, I mean, obviously as, as a founder, every, you know, all of the employee experiences is, is partly your responsibility, but how do you view that? How do you view things like traditional IT as you're building uh, your company? Yeah, for sure. I, I think this is an area that like, changes so much as your company goes through different phases. Like, you know, when you're 10 people, you know, people that join, <laughs> the, the type of people that join your company when you're 10 people, their expectations are different, right? They understand if like they break their laptop, like they might have to like fix it. If they, we had, uh, we had somebody who, who spilled coffee on their laptop and this is when we were about 10 people, like, I don't know, it was 2016 or 2017 spilled coffee on their laptop. And for a year, he went to meetings. He, he was on the sales team. Uh, went to meetings with a, a keyboard that he sat on, a USB keyboard that he sat on top of his laptop keyboard. <laughs> so so the, 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 the bar for employee experience when you're a 10-person startup is much different than, you know, when you're 130 employees where we are now. Of course. Because now that like, we, we, we need to, we need to enable our employees to kind of, from a tech, from an IT perspective, to be able to move really fast. So now we have dedicated, you know, internal resources to ensure that people have the access they need to systems, they have the equipment they need. And then in COVID, it's like throwing a wrench in that whole thing is like, how, how do we ensure that new employees are getting laptops on time that they can, they can continue to do their work? How do we give people stipends to, you know, build out their home office, which they never had before? We spend a lot of time talking about this at the exec team level too especially with, with COVID and just being mindful that's way easier to burn out. So giving people just like, we've done a two different times, just like, hey, the whole company's off this Friday. Just take the time and decompress. Because I, it happens to me too. Like I, I get into a cycle where, you know, I'm, I'm doing work until 8 p.m. and I don't even realize it. And I'm burning myself out at that point too. So we're trying to be extra mindful of that. And, and also at the same time, continue to build connections across the organization, which is one thing we all miss with being remote is those random like conversations that happen at the water cooler type, type situation or at the having lunch with someone. How do we build mechanisms to, to build those, those connections across the org? I always think of Dwight Schrute talking about how he brings his own water to work. Uh, <laughs> so he, he misses out on the water cooler talk. <laughs> But uh, no, it's super true. I mean, the thing that's so crazy, uh, you know, and I've said this before on the podcast, I think people are actually working harder than ever and they just don't realize it yeah. because all of the little moments that you get away from your screen or your computer or just like the mental exercise of like sitting in physically sitting in a meeting 
and not staring at a laptop versus sitting in a virtual meeting where you're still staring at your laptop with like, you know, probably some bad posture, maybe not the best, best ergonomic setup, just all those things, you know, they, they lead to you, you know, pushing through six, six thirty, seven, seven thirty. 7, yep. you know, you push through lunch, you push through those things. And I think that there's so much of that kind of similar in the same way that, you know, you can go onto your phone and end up spending 45 minutes on social media and not really realize it at all. I think it's the same thing a lot of times with work now. And unless you have those, those triggers or gates that for your company to say like, Hey, you know, to manage those things, it's, it's really hard to, uh, you know, you can't walk through the office and kick people out anymore. Right. <laughs> like, you, uh, there, there's none of that. For sure. And, and I think I, th- I was reading a study that like the, the cognitive load of being at a zoom meeting and like staring at the screen is actually greater than if you're like with people, you know, cause it's, it's more like a natural, a natural thing if you're in a room in a meeting with people and I get like burnt at the end of the day, if I have, you know, six meetings back to back or something, I'm just like burnt out. Um, where I don't think I would feel the same. I didn't feel the same way when I was, when I was kind of in, in person meetings. So that, that's another element as well. Yeah, no, it's, it's totally true. I mean, so I, I read a similar study where it's like the, the levels of, um, how easily your like brain perceives like physical, like depth perception, all the things that like your brain is supposed to do with your eyes to figure out like, those small imitations in people's voice and their facial structure and like how they're moving and all that stuff. You have to focus way harder when they're on a screen because you don't have that same like relationship to the person and depth and all that sort of stuff. So you're, you're just like focusing way harder to try to do that. And, and there's just so much more purposeful intent-based conversations. You know, for a lot of people who are like used to working from home, then they got, you know, all these other things kind of thrown at them with different changes and all of that. So it's like even their quote unquote home routine is now completely disrupted. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's cool to hear that you're, you all are doing that. Any other things or, you know, lessons learned for uh, managing remote work? Yeah. Well, well, just one, one uh, point I wanted to touch on that you mentioned was actually for some of our employees that were remote before, they actually felt more connected once everybody went remote, you know? Because they, they kind of felt a little bit disconnected when everybody else was in the office because conversations that would normally happen at, you know, a desk between two people are not now might be happening in Slack where like everybody can see it. So those employees actually, I think, felt more connected and they were already used to working remotely. So it wasn't as big of a change for them, which I thought was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah. We, yeah, we talk about that uh, all the time. It's the... Um if you have one remote employee or remote work company, you just didn't act like it, right? It's like every single one of those meetings, everything, that person was just like all the strain that you feel now, it's like they were all dealing with that, except it was way worse because you know they were dialed into like a single cam of the entire screen and couldn't see half of the people talking or who was talking or anything like that. Yeah, no, it's totally true. I mean, I, I think it really is going to shift how how we think about work and how we think about employee productivity for sure. Yeah, for sure. And then the other thing we just implemented, I don't know if you've heard of this, this tool called Donut, but it's, uh, it integrates with Slack and it basically every week will connect you with one random person in the organization to have like a one-on-one conversation with. And it can happen in Slack or just in a video call or, or whatever, or just a phone call. And this is a way 
that we're trying to continue to kind of build connections cross-functionally. So like get out of your like immediate team or the teams you work with most frequently and build deeper connections across, you know, across departmentally. So that's, that's one thing that I'm, I'm excited because we're just rolling that out, but I'm excited about that because that's the thing I miss the most is just the random conversations to be had when you're kind of in the office with someone. What about like tools and processes and other things? Um, you know, the, the head of technology type of a, a function, obviously, you know, you focus on product and building that, but ultimately, you know, the other types of employee experiences, how do you select tools? You know, are you all like 100% cloud? What, what are you building on? What does infrastructure look like? How do you make those decisions? Yeah, we're, we're 100%. Everything we use is, is cloud. Even like we've built some like internal tools that we've used that were like that we've moved to the cloud as well. So everything's cloud at this point. We um again, this is like a stage thing as like your company grows, but it used to be very easy to make software purchasing decisions because there weren't that many stakeholders. And now we've we've formed like a a small committee of cross functional people that uh, whenever we're making a purchase decision, you in the Slack channel that these this like small tactical team is in right up like what you want to purchase, what problem it's solving, who else needs to be involved in the decision. And that just elevates any time like a purchasing decision is being made so that we can ensure that every team that it impacts is somehow in the loop. Because what we want to avoid is somebody goes and purchases Zendesk for like uh, our user support and then somebody else purchases intercom for like chat on our website. And actually those had tools that could have overlapped and we could have just bought one tool at the end of the day and been, it would have, the cost would have, would have been better for us and implementation would have been much more efficient. So that's what we're trying to avoid with this kind of cross-functional committee. So that, that's been good to kind of elevate any of those decisions to that team with stakeholders from all the different orgs involved. And then we use our own platform to actually do the vetting and the purchasing of software. So because we support contracting and third-party risk management, all of that runs through legal workflows to ensure that, you know, our legal review process is, is streamlined and also that SLAs aren't met. Because you run in the situation, somebody reaches out to legal and be like, hey, I need this tomorrow. This kind of formalizes the process. So those expectations can get set and managed by our legal team, for example. Can you go into your experience with architecting products built on flexible data models? Yeah, it's actually, uh, it's really hard <laughs> to build flexible products. It, it's, uh, and we've kind of, we've scraped our knees a couple of times along the way. I think one, um, our product is so flexible that our customers end up using it in ways we didn't even realize they were going to, and therefore end up kind of breaking the, the rules that we had in place about performance expectations and load and things like that. So what we do now is, is kind of place throttles throughout our platform to ensure that our users can't break it, you know, in, in finding these creative use cases or creative ways to, to solve their problems. So that's kind of a mission we're on now is continue to put throttles in throughout the platform. And that's like one piece of advice I would have for anybody building a very flexible product or platform that, you know, is driven by a flexible data model as well is ensure that you have some throttles in place to prevent users from actually breaking it. That if I, if I could start over, I would, I would put the, put more of those in from the beginning. Any other trends or technologies that you're excited about? Um, I, I've been keeping up with uh, sort of the buzz around 
GPT-3. Have you, that's like the like machine learning model from OpenAI. And uh, I know some people have been saying it's not really as revolutionary as, as people are making it out to be, but I think it's the first time people are able to see the outputs of some of these like machine learning models. And then I was thinking like, oh, maybe the, back, to the, <laughs> back to our discussion about buzzwords, but I was thinking maybe there's a cool way to, that we can utilize something like this in the future, you know? What if you, because this can like auto-generate language, basically. Like it can write a story for you, for example. And I was thinking maybe there's a cool way that our customers can use this to auto-generate things like policy documents or controls in the organization or uh, based on, you know, all the regulations that might apply to them or the way their network is architected. So uh, it's been really cool to see some of the, output. I don't know if you've, you've followed along at all, but some of the ways on Twitter, people have been using that model have, have kind of blown my mind. So what's next for Logicate? Yeah, for us, we're, we're at a stage where we're taking on some pretty big projects on the product side. So we're, we're thinking about ways we can help our customers use the data on the platform to make better strategic decisions. That starts with allowing them to centralize all of their processes and activities on the platform. So we offer, I think we offer like 20 plus different templates that our customers can use for their applications to get going really quickly, you know, if they've never done third-party risk or never done enterprise risk. So we're continuing to build out that library of applications that we're offering. We're also integrating with a lot more data sources. So things like Jira, like ServiceNow, like Splunk, having all that data come in one place so that they can use that to inform some of their risk decisions. And then looking at those quantitative risk models, how can we embed that in our platform so that we can allow our customers to make better or have better conversations with their leadership about dollars and cents. So I'm really excited about those for in 2021 and 2022, because it's, uh, it's some bigger bets that we're, we're excited to take with the market. And we're, we're hearing it from our customers that there's nothing out there that's really solving these types of problems for them. And um, yeah, having that guide what we're working on. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. Our lightning fast questions are brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. You can go to salesforce.com slash platform to learn more. Salesforce is the best. Check them out. Salesforce Customer 360 platform. We love them. They've been with us since the first episode of the show. Go to salesforce.com slash platform. Lightning round questions. John, are you ready? As ready as I can be. What app on your phone is the most fun? Oh, man. I think it's Twitter just because I love, <laughs> I love looking at all the conversations. Uh, so, yeah, Twitter. Do you have a hobby or habit that you picked up in Shelter in Place? Oh, in Shelter in Place? I get to play more guitar. I think, and, and my, I have a 12 month old daughter, so I get to play guitar for her, which I didn't really get the chance to do do much and I can just like pop upstairs and see her. And, and that's, that's awesome. That's the bright side of shelter in place. Do you have a book or podcast or maybe TV show that you've been binging recently? Um, if, uh, if, if anybody else is interested in product, the uh, intercom on product podcast is really good. That's a, I recommend that one highly, you know, it's, it's more, a, more of a business focused one. So maybe not super bingeable, but, uh, but I, I really like that one. What would be your best advice for a first-time chief product officer? Oh, boy. Um, I would make sure you have strong, strong leadership with you in the, in the product org, whether it's like a director of product as well to help, help execute. 
execute on on some of the bigger vision stuff that you're working on. I'd say that's the that's the number one thing. Don't be afraid to level up and and hire some hire good leadership to work work with you. If you weren't in technology at all, what do you think you'd be doing? I love uh, doing like projects like with wood. Like I built my desk that I'm at right now. That's really fun to me. I feel like it's also like low stress and relaxing. That would be fun to do. <laughs> but it, it's maybe not not fast paced enough for me all the time. It's good to have a dichotomy of that. But uh, but I, I do enjoy it. What's the best thing to do in Chicago in the summer? Oh, well, when it's not shelter in place and not COVID, taking a run or bike along the lakefront trail, uh, that's awesome because the you don't realize how like crystal clear blue like the Lake Michigan water is. And then with the city in the background, uh, you can't beat that. So just have, to have the, to run, run along the trail, bike along the trail or, or go to the one of the beaches there. It's, it's a really cool experience. Well, John, that's it. That's all we have for today. Thanks so much for uh, for joining. Any uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, we're we're excited because we just made our first analyst report. So we just got on the uh, the uh, Gartner Magic Quadrant for IT vendor risk management solutions. So that's that's one plug we have. We're really excited about that because we just we just found out uh, yesterday, actually. Yeah, I saw it on the website. I should I should have uh, I should have said that at the top. Yeah, congrats. Thanks. Awesome. Well, John, thanks so much again and take care. All right. Thanks, Ian. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform.